Good evening. Good to see you here this evening, dashing through the snow, as uh, it's said. Great. And those of you who are on Zoom, uh, welcome. I, uh, again, it's a privilege we have tonight. We've got uh, Michael Smith with us to give uh, the word to us. But uh, we just rejoice in, in being able to gather together and uh, the Lord's blessing us through the day. All right, we're going to call now Michael to come, if you would come to read the scripture, and Michael to lead us in prayer, please. Yes, I'm going to ask Braden to come up and read Psalm 27. Okay. I've never had to not raise the mic when I come up here. <laughs> All right, Psalm 27, I'll be reading the entire psalm. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should camp and camp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacles sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me, and answer me. When thou saidst, Seek my face, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Lord, Father, help us, Father. We're vulnerable and we need courage. Help us, Father, in this world, the dangerous world, and we need someone to help us. There's so many needs we pray for, Lord. There are physical needs and there are spiritual needs. We have needs for our church and we need a pastor. We're thankful. We are thankful, Lord, that you are faithful and that you hear our prayers and that you have a plan for us, O Lord. And when we fall, Lord, you're there to catch us. And when we cry, you hear every word. 
Give us the desire, Lord, in our heart to want to know You, that we wouldn't be distracted by this world. Use Your Spirit, Lord, to help us. We thank You, Lord, that we have Your Word and we can use it to instruct us. We thank You, Lord, that You use it to plant the seeds in our mind, in our hearts, to cause us to pray to You, to praise You, to worship You, to understand who You are. We can know that we can come to You asking for anything, and You are faithful like a father. So we pray, Father, for our friends, the Wilsons, uh, the Dada family, and we also pray for our Sunday school teachers, focus on the family, the ministry that goes out daily over the television and the internet. We pray, Lord, that your message goes on. We know it saves you, it saves the souls of people of this world, calls your people. Even when there's wars and natural disasters, Lord, we go to you because we know that you will give us the wisdom and the strength and the courage we need to get through these things. Help us, Father, to never cease to pray. Come and help us, Lord. You pray. We pray, Father, that you come because you said you blessed are the poor and the hungry and the oppressed. Know, Lord, that you help those that see their need. So help us to see our need. Help, help us, O oh Lord, in our lives in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, brother, we welcome you. The Lord bless as you open the word to us tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Um, I know it's snowing outside. Please uh, don't come on. Yeah, I, I'm, just, I'm just so amazed to see so many of you here. I know there's not a lot, but I'm thankful. Thank you for coming. All right, well, I'm sorry for um, the somber tone I'm about to give you, um, but it's what happened. So the last time I was here was five months ago, and uh, since then until now, uh my life has been like climbing a mountain. It's been tough. <clears throat> my mother was diagnosed with dementia. She's lost the ability to speak, write, remember. She can't learn anymore. I had to move her out of her apartment. She's slowly losing the ability to eat. She can't, she doesn't know how to anymore. Other things have happened. I had other, two other man, uh, family members, it was made aware of me in the last five months that they are facing an uh, irreversible, life-threatening condition, both two of my family members. I had a friend go to jail. The town I go to every day, I know hundreds of people where I work. I go there every day and visit with lots of people. 
Well, it looks inevitable that their paper mill is about to close. I, I see suffering all around me, lately especially. Um, lots of good things as well. But more than ever, my life, maybe you can relate, has become more and more uncertain, more scary than ever before. That's my life right now. That's in addition to worrying about getting home today and not crashing and wars and natural disasters and your health and my health and the future is uncertain at best. And the clock is ticking. So the question I wanted to ask today and answer, hopefully, is should I be afraid of these things? What would Jesus say about that? Well, if you look in Matthew chapter 6, he says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, I'm going to go quickly through these verses. If you want to turn to them, I suggest maybe write them down. Sometimes I'll give you a little time, but um, I have a lot of verses, that I, and I have, I have 26 of these pages. I've got to try to move fast. Jesus says, do not worry. Do not be anxious. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. And then he compares us with the birds and says that, don't you know you are much more valuable than the birds? Why do you worry? They don't. And so tonight we're going to talk about what Jesus says, how you shouldn't worry. And we're going to also talk about what the fear of the Lord means. Two things that, if you're honest, sound completely backwards, right? Completely backwards. But with this time, limited time, I'm going to hurry up. We've got lots to cover. I'm going to try to explain this to you. Um, so let's take a second here. The word fear in our dictionary today is defined as an unpleasant, you'll find this similar explanation, an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is going to put you in danger. That's a true thing about fear. That's nothing wrong with that. But do you see how the, this definition is presented in a very negative way? For good reason. Fear is a negative thing. To be afraid is not a good thing. You don't want that, right? Um, so when we look in the Bible, in Hebrew, this word uh, means a little bit more and a little bit different. And there are two parent words for this, but don't get caught up in that. One of them is just a description or the appearance of fear. And then the other one is actually the fear. Those are the two parent words for fear. But don't think of it like there's a good word for fear and a bad word for fear. There's one word for fear. And it goes across the board from reverence to sheer terror. It's the same thing. You have to understand it that way. 
I'm not going to go through the whole meaning. And if you want, go back and look at the Hebrew and understand this word. It's got a lot of meaning to it. I was going to try to explain it to you, but I'm telling you, you got to go home and do it yourself. So I'm just going to briefly explain this. Yara, yara, and I'm not even going to be able to pronounce it properly, but that's the word for fear. And it, what it means is, if you can get this idea, that it's something that flows from somebody. Fear is something that flows from, a terror from the gut is the definition that I found. And if you think of it like water, or like cascading water from a mountain, or, or how blood gives you, the, the flow of blood gives you life, that's the word. That's what it's meaning. So fear is a, a something that flows. So keep that in mind. Another way to think about this and to understand this word is that, and again, it's an abstract word, right? I, I can't draw a picture of it for you. It's really something that you have to um, explore yourself to understand. But another way to look at this is that it is a negative feeling, but can be good for you, right? So it can be good and it could be bad. It's negative, positive. Sometimes it fear helps you, right? Best way to understand this word, I believe, is to just to see it happen, to understand fear is just to see how it happens. So let's go to the Bible. The second time you see the word fear in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 15. And this is the time. I'll take the time and we'll go there real, real quickly though. 15, chapter 15. And this is where Abraham, he's Abraham, but his name is Abraham at the time. He has a vision of God. Okay? And he's afraid. I believe every one of us would be afraid if you had a vision of anything, right? This is unusual. It's peculiar. It's not the norm. I've never had a vision, but I can imagine I would be terrified. So Abraham is afraid. What is the first thing that God says to him? Fear not, Abram. Why was Abraham, Abram afraid? He didn't know what he was looking at, you see. He didn't understand what he was seeing. So the first thing God says, don't fear, and then he explains to Abram what's going on. If you read the chapter before, God helped deliver Abram's enemies into his hand. And so here he says, don't be afraid. I'm not your enemy. I'm your shield. Don't be afraid. This isn't a bad day. I am your exceeding great reward. You see, God explains it and takes the fear away. But the first reaction was fear. So what we learn here is that fear is something that you is of the unknown, right? It comes when you don't understand. And here we see God taking his fear away by telling him, no, I'm your shield, I'm your great reward, exceeding great reward. I'm going to take your fear away from you, Abram, by explaining to you what is going on. 
So we can see there that fear is coming from the unknown. Another example, let me turn to this one too and linger there just for a moment in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 in the New Testament. And if you look at Mark chapter 4, you'll see Mark chapter 4 is, um, if I can, it's about faith. It's all these metaphor parables, metaphors about faith. And he goes through the the parables, the metaphors, the sower of the seed, the light under the basket or the bushel, and, and he talks about the mustard seed. And then these are all pointing and trying to get you to understand what faith is. And included in this series of stories is this story about Jesus and his disciples on a boat. <laughs> and so... This story starts with Jesus and his disciples crossing the sea in a boat. Now, this is Jesus' idea. It says it right there. And then the storm kicks up, and the waves are crashing into the boat. And the boat's made out of wood, so, I mean, the storm is so bad that the boat is ready to come apart. And the boat is also filling up with water. It's a terrible storm. And you can picture, if you can, the disciples, right? What would they be doing? They're running around. Peter, get the bucket. <laughs> you know, grab the stern or whatever you do to stop a boat from sinking, okay? And they're frantic. And I think... Mark is having, he's got a sense of humor here. Because he says in verse 33, where's Jesus? Asleep. And he uses the word pillow or a cushion in some versions. He could have just said asleep. No, he's, he's, he's having a nap on the cushion. He's comfy. He's relaxed. No problem there. And the boat's going all over the place. And the disciples, they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? Right? Don't you care? We're about to die here. In other words, if I may, what is wrong with you? Isn't that what they're saying? Where's your fear? We're going to die. Isn't that the question? Where is your fear, Jesus? You're acting like a lunatic right now, sleeping on the pillow. We can't understand this. <laughs> I think it gets funnier. He's, he wakes up and he says, Peace be still. And what immediately happens? The waves cease and the storm is calmed. And it's a great calm. The word is great calm. Could you imagine that? One instant you're thinking you're going to sink and die, and then there's this calm. Incredible calm. 
It reminds me of this time. I got my a motorcycle a year ago, and I was all eager to bring it out in the spring last year. And I had my dog, my dog and I were in the front, and I said, I'm going to grab the motorcycle, I'm going to go around the block. And I wanted to take off quickly so he wouldn't come after me, right? If I take off quickly, he won't, even he won't think he can keep up, so he'll just stay there. So I take off quickly, and I go around the block, and I come up behind him, and I can see him looking for me down the road. And then he turns around, and he sees me behind him. And I had this look on his face like, how did you do that? I think that's the look that the disciples might have had. Did he just tell the wind and the sea to calm down? And it listened? Isn't that terrifying? That's terrifying. But you see the question that he has for them, I think is funny too. Why are you so afraid? Well, Jesus, I'm standing knee deep in water in the boat. First of all, and then second of all, right? Isn't this like two, uh, two fears here? Do you know what the real question is? He asks it here. Why is it you still have no faith? I'm a little frustrated. I mean, I don't think he's frustrated, but you don't have any faith. How long have you been with me? You don't know me yet? How come you don't know me? Isn't that the same thing we could say for ourselves? You've been around for this long, and you haven't even tried to get to know me? How come you don't know me? The lesson here is the faith, it comes from not knowing. Or, I'm sorry, faith, fear, fear comes from not knowing. And you see these two fears here. The first one was from the storm. But see the second fear here that the disciples have? You know what it did? It drove them to ask the question, who is this? that tells the wind in the sea to calm down, and it listens. Isn't that a good question? Fear got them to understand that. And when you see the psalmist saying in 111 verse 10, Psalm 111 verse 10, fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Then you kind of understand that now, right? Psalm 27, David asks a great question. Whom? Shall I fear? What shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? And he brings up the wicked, the evil ones, those ones that torment you, all those people around you. you should you fear them? No. Because when I have faith in the Lord, they stumble and they fall. That's what David says. Should I fear an army? Come on, David, you need to fear an army. You're not going to fight a whole army. I'm not worried about an army. Because God will figure out a way. He'll hide me in his shelter. He'll hide me in his pavilion if he has to. He'll do whatever it takes. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear any evil, he says. Why? Why, David? Because he is my shepherd. He's my light. He's my salvation. He is right. He's never wrong. He teaches me how to live.
The word Torah, did you know it means law? It means more than that. It means information that flows from God to you. It's this flow word again. Fear activates this flow. No fear, and we just forget about God, it seems. No fear, we start making arguments for why he doesn't exist. And that's because they don't fear him. So what do we do? What do we do? Psalm 27, verse 8. The Lord says, seek my face. Seek my face. You know what that means? Face is, seek my presence. And if I may, he means, be interested in me. Understand my character like you would a person. Take the time to get to know me. Look at me. Love me. And David responds, By faith, Lord, will I seek. And this is what God wants. He wants us to seek Him. In fact, David says, I will spend my life searching for you. It will be my number one priority to grow in the knowing of you. And he says in verse 8, you see that David would do it all with his heart. My heart says to you, with awe, I come to know God. With fear, I come to know God. And you see fear in Psalm 89, we all, if you're a Christian, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever, I will sing. Right? We all know that. Did you know in verse 7, he mixes that idea with God is to be greatly feared. Not just feared, greatly feared. And so he sings of the mercies of the Lord with the mixture of this emotion. And he comes and approaches God with fear, but with joy. And singing in his heart. And he explains why you're to fear him in verse 8. He's strong. He is faithful. Not like us. In verse 9. Get this. And when the wind and the sea arise, who can tell them to be still and to be calm? That's why you're to fear him. It's a good fear. Because this fear brings you into his presence. See? And the more you see him, the more you fear him, the more you grow in the knowledge of him, and the more his presence grows in you, in your mind, in your life, leads you to pray, study more, read more. It's a relationship you're having with, with him, with love like a person. And the fear of the Lord will fill you with the desire to think and pray and search for Him. And Isaiah says it this way. In Isaiah 33, verse 6, Wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times, and strength and salvation. The fear of the Lord is His treasure. This is not a paralyzing, timid cowardly fear. This is a fear to get you up and move you. It's an activating, not passive fear. 
like if you were speeding and you wouldn't slow down and someone pulls you, police pull you over and they give you a ticket. This should activate a fear in you to somehow get you to go back out there and not speed anymore, right? It's a good thing. It's healthy to have a fear to make you go to the doctor. And when the alarm goes off, you should be startled and do something because that's when you're supposed to move because it's trying to get your attention. Fear activates you to move. <laughs> so I was talking to a few people in the last month trying to uh, figure out what people think about the word fear in the Bible. It's a tricky one. Um, most people I... I spoke to didn't understand what I meant. And I, I tell them, I'd say, you know, fear is written in the Bible 500 times. And a lot of the times it says you're to fear the Lord. Do you understand that? That, that sounds the strangest thing in the world. I never heard that. I, I don't know if I can believe in a God that I'm supposed to fear. I got that reaction. I got also, um, I don't, I'm not afraid of, of anything and I'm not afraid of dying and, and I have no fear and, and there's that mentality in this world as well right no fear maybe you should be afraid a bit though maybe it is a good thing because not fearing God well it's not a new idea it's not like science has come along and now people don't have to fear God anymore it, it, it's happened throughout history Removing God from our minds and our lives and our society, time and time again, it's happened. It's, it's, and I can, in 2,700 years ago, if you read Isaiah, there's uh, the nation of Judah, and they tried to remove God. And you know, at first, Judah did, they believed in God and they, they followed God and they were blessed, they had security. They had wealth and prosperity. But then they began to forget about God. And even 2,700 years ago, did you know that they grew tired of the stories of Abraham and, and Moses? Those are old tales. They don't, they're not relevant for today. They don't have anything to do with me. Why would I listen to that? And you see in Isaiah 29, they began to not honor God with, their, they began to honor God with their lips, but not with their hearts. And the nation began to fall apart. And you see what he says in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 24. Why? Look at the second half. They have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Does that sound familiar? And Judah thought everything was okay. Does that sound familiar? And I hate to rain on your parade that we have the tendency as well to do that insidiously, slowly we forget about God, begin to not have time for Him anymore, 
We have our own ideas. Besides, we want to run our own lives. And I know this all sounds like I'm talking about the world here. But this is God's people. And instead of fearing God and what God thinks about them, they're more afraid of what their friends are going to say or their family or they're afraid of what the enemy is going to do or maybe just losing the comfort in this life. Afraid of that. And Judah stopped learning from God. Stopped listening and trusted in their own understanding. Again, it sounds like We are talking about the world here, but this is God's people. It's us. We have a tendency to drift, become lazy a little bit. God says that we are to be sober-minded. What that means, Paul would say, is we're to have sound judgment. We're to know the truth. We're to have sound judgment. He says, when he writes to Timothy, we are to keep awake. That's what being sober means. Keep awake. And Peter would say, self-controlled and sober-minded. And it doesn't mean drinking. Although, that is a great picture. Being under the influence of alcohol causes you to not be able to work, not be able to drive, not be able to think. You can't help yourself. And if you drink enough, people have to carry you home. That kind of thing is is alcohol being under the influence will make you a different person. Being under the in and I know it's a it's a strange analogy, but being under the influence of the fear of the Lord, it causes you to change too. Do you see? It causes you to want to be in the presence of God. It causes me to want to seek the Lord. It causes me to do things I don't normally do and say. I'm under the influence of the fear of the Lord. That's why I'm standing here right now. I looked and I saw that He is real. And although I struggle with my faith every day, I do. I don't know if you'd be surprised, but I forget to pray all the time. I forget God and everything I do. I, again, interact with a lot of people. And I get frustrated and annoyed with people. And my heart grows hard sometimes. And I struggle But when I'm thinking straight and soberly, I am working out my salvation with fear and trembling, as Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 would say. And I struggle not because God failed, or there isn't enough evidence for me to believe. There's so much evidence. It's because my heart fails me. You can see what Paul means when he says that there's war going on in Romans chapter 7. And in Psalm 2, it says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. 
Isn't that interesting? Rejoice with trembling? See, when you see Him for who He is, this is what happens. But then you know that blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. I know I can go to Him and He'll fix it. So just my life as a testimony. 23 years ago, I became a Christian. Before that, I was a different person for sure. But the Word of God came along and it transformed me. I read the instructions, the Scriptures, and it changed me. It didn't hurt that I had a Fantastic teacher, Brad Powers. Pastor Powers, he made it his life goal to know and teach the truth, the fear of the Lord. In contrast to my life, where there was no fear for the first 30 years of my life, I was raised by the television set. You look at me now, you don't know me? 30 years of my life, I watched TV, I slept. Watched TV, went to school, watched TV, played video games, dropped out of school, played more video games. I had no fear of the Lord. I became a Christian. And you see Romans 12 verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect? Now, I don't watch TV much anymore, and I don't play video games at all. Nothing against that. I just find them find it boring now. But um, you know, the best times I have of when my head is straight. And I find these little nuggets of information about God. And it'll be never ending until eternity. But it's like a treasure to me. Yeah. And it, it's, it's this fear and trembling as I go forward. And yes, I am still distracted. I'm, I'm, I'm working on that. And the Lord is working on me. But boy, is it ever an amazing feeling to know that when you're learning about God, you realize it's it's God that is revealing Himself to you. And it becomes more and more real. He becomes more and more real. Because you believe more and more, you see the evidence. It's there. And this emotion, this emotion flows out of you. Goosebumps sometimes. This is the fear. Not timid or paralyzing. No. It's exciting. It's it's an adventurous fear. It's a you know, um, I like going to Fielding Park. My kids like going there. We go to Fielding Park and Oh, there's chickadees there. And if you go there, you can bring some of those black seeds with you. And if you hold your hand out, they'll come and actually take the seeds out of your hand. And uh, 
So they're brave enough to do that. But I can imagine the first time one of those chickadees saw a human being standing there with their hand like this, they weren't going to have any of it, right? They had this natural fear in them. But you see, as they learned more and they got closer, they investigated it a little bit more, right? They saw that the human being just wanted to feed them, just wanted to have this relationship with them, right? And the bird comes and fearfully takes the seed. If you know Psalm 2 and verse 12, you know I skipped the part here. I'm going to just read it. Psalm 2 verse 12, Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. What that means? We have sinned, but he wants to forgive. And blessed are all who take refuge in him. If you know this, congratulations. If you don't know this, may the fear of the Lord compel you to have the desire to go find out what it means. Now, I don't know if I've convinced anybody that these things are important. Well, I'm going to finish with this. C.S. Lewis said this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. You don't have to worry about it. If it is true, of infinite importance, would you not agree? The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Now, many people in history have treated it this way. And they wasted their lives. Those people from Judah and on and on. And it's too late for them. It's not too late for us, though. May God be with us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you give us your word, your instructions on how to live. Give us the desire, Lord, to read them and to do them. Give us the fear, Lord, to know that we should sit up and listen. But when we find you, Lord, we see that you're just there to have a relationship with us, that you want us to see your love and your mercy. And you want us to grow with you. What an amazing thing. Help us to see that more and more. Amen.